this is Ken and Kep out of Vintage Tutoring. And Billy reminded me that I probably forgot to do a thing about REITs. So we got to get REITs and we're going to throw in a little dip limited partnership at the same time. This is what a REIT is. It's a packaged product. It's like a mutual fund full of real estate. So it's like a mutual fund full of real estate. Basically, here's your bottle. You can't see it. It's filled with real estate. And you're buying shares of the bottle or the shell, not specific pieces of property. So actually that worked because I would probably pick the worst property in the world that would lose money. So in this case, I'm buying shares of this REIT that has hundreds and hundreds of properties in it. So what happens is I'm diversified. So ba- so again, I'm going to say basically a million times because that's just stuck in my head. If you buy a REIT, you're going to buy a package of properties. So what happens is I'm trying not to cough. Another advantage is it's much more liquid, right? So think about it. If if you buy into a piece of property, say I bought a, a house down there or a building, a property, and I was going to rent it out or whatever it was or flip it. I buy that. Say it didn't work. It could take me years to sell that shit. But I buy a REIT. It trades on an exchange. So basically, I can just buy it. And if I go, you know, an hour later, go, you know what? I don't want it. Boom, I just sell it. So again, a REIT is like a mutual fund that holds real estate. There are some rules about what they have to do to be considered a REIT. First of all, it has to be a company, right? It has to be a taxable entity that at least 75% of its assets are in real estate. At least 75% of their gross income has to be from real property, mortgages, financing, stuff like that, basically from real estate. They have to pay out 90% of its income to dividends every year. So that's a thing. The mutual funds and REITs, that's one thing they have in common, that they pass through 90% of their income every year to the investors. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, if they do that, right, if both mutual funds and REITs pass through 90% of their income, they only pay tax on the 10% or whatever they don't distribute. They can do as much as 99 And the reason that's good is because if you have a corporation, think about this. If you have a corporation and they make a million dollars, they're going to pay taxes on it. And then they're going to kick out a dividend. And then you're also going to pay taxes on it. So it's double taxed. A REIT or a mutual fund in this case, if they pass through 90% of their income, it's not that 90% has never been taxed. So you're actually getting more money up front. Now let's talk about different types. So we have, so what are the different types of REITs? Well, there's an equity REIT. They make most of their money or income from like rental or flipping houses or some sort of operating income real estate. Um, MREIT or a mortgage REIT provides financing for income producing real estate. They make the money off the interest. Then there's not there's public non-listed REITs or public non-tradables. They are they are registered with the SEC, but they don't trade. Okay. So they are registered with the SEC, they don't trade. And then there's private REITs are like private placements. So equity and MREITs, which are registered, they're very liquid. In and out pretty easily. And you can buy them on exchange, sell them short, buy on margin, all that stuff. The uh, the non-listed ones don't trade, so there's no liquidity there. It's a little harder to get into. And they probably have more strict guidelines on who can buy. Whereas a regular REIT, this gives normal people like us the ability to invest in real estate. We can look like Grant, whatever is Grant Cardone or whatever, and be a millionaire, invest in real estate. But we can do it in the form of a REIT. But to recap, it's like a mutual fund, like a mutual, it isn't one, but it's like a mutual fund. It's a package product, invests in, invests in real estate. They have to have at least 75% of their assets in real estate. 75% of the income has to come from real estate, and they have to pass through 90% of their income. They, for the most part, if you just see the word REIT, it's tradable. They trade on exchange, stuff like that. Now, I hope that helped a little bit. Now, before I get into the DPPs and limited partnerships, let me be a little embarrassing. In a world where real estate's a feat, 
becomes an option. That's quite neat. A REIT or a real estate investment trust, a way to invest with fairness and just. It pulls your money along with others to buy managed real estate with your brothers. From malls to flats and even office towers, REITs hold the keys to these real powers. No need to buy a building whole. Just own a share. Play your role. As properties earn, so do you. Though rents and gains, your profits grew. So here's the charm of a REITs embrace. Invest in real estate with ease and grace. A simple way to join the game with REITs. Landscapes, not the game. Boy, that was bad, huh? Make sure. Thank God I didn't see that. Holy crap. That would have been really embarrassing if you heard me do that little mini stuff. Now, so a limited partnership. Now, um, again, this is more for the Series 7. If you want more stuff, there's a shitload of details on this stuff. So a limited partnership is like you're you're forming your own company. Like we have limited partners and we have general partners. So limited partners are, they just, just put the cash in and general partners run the company. So if you're going to start your own company and you go, you know what? I kind of want money from people, but I don't want them to have any control. You would do a limited partnership. You can have as many limited partners as you want and as many GPs as you want. But the GPs run the company that limited partnerships, the limited partners don't. So if you start a limited partnership, let's say, well, oil and gas one or an equipment leasing or a real estate limited partnership. Oh, sounds like a REIT. So a real estate limited partnership is very much like a REIT, but it's not. It's a partnership. So there's some differences. Now, the main thing about partnerships are that all of the income passes through. So like a REIT before, the actual company pays taxes on some of it. Here, limited partnerships, and it's what they call a pass-through entity. So when they make money, they don't pay taxes on it. The partners do. So here's the way I explain it. If, say, I'm the GP and I have you four partners. So I have you four of you plus me because that's how many people watch my fucking videos. So five people total, me and you four sucker viewers. Now, if I make 10 grand, if the partnership pays 10 grand, say they make 10 grand after expenses, right? So now they have $10,000 and they have to, by the end of the year, they have to distribute all of it to us. So I'm going to get two grand. You two, you two, you two, and you two. You two like the band, right? Bloody Sunday. So now, if so you're going to get the gain. So you now have two grand in your pocket that you may have to pay taxes on because the partnership didn't. So what they do is they pass through the gains, all of them, but they also pass through the losses. Now, that doesn't mean you owe money, but it's like a write-off, a piece of paper that says, hey, you, I know it caught me made 10 grand, but your portion of what it cost us to make that money is $400. So you take your $2,000, you subtract your loss or your write-off of $400, and now you only have to pay taxes on $1,600. Now, there's a couple of rules here. So prior to the 80s, your losses could exceed what you put in, and it was a great tax write-off. Now it's not as good. They lowered the tax brackets, took away a lot, a lot of the loopholes. Again, limited partners, general partners. Limited partners drop the cash. They're silent partners. Hopefully, GPs run it. They have unlimited risk. That's another thing. So GPs, when shit goes bad, they have unlimited risk on them and they're paid last. Limited partners can only lose what they put in, which is great. So if I, so again, we got this. So the company makes money. They pay their expenses. They pay their bills. Then they pass through all of the money to all of the partners to split up based on their percentage ownership. And then they also get write-offs or losses, they call them, to reduce what they pay in taxes. That's the advantage of buying a limited partnership. The problem is, they're not very active. So like on the Series 7, they'll be called DPPs, Direct Participation Programs. They're not liquid at all, okay? So not very liquid, hard to get in and out of. And when the rep does it, I mean, think about it. The GP has to let the LP, the limited partnership in, the limited partner in. So when the registered rep tells the person, oh, I think you should do a limited partnership, they can't assume that the GP is going to let them in. So they got to hope it happens. 
you put them in, the GP says yes or no, and then the next day you're in the partnership. And what you will do is you will fill out a subscription agreement. So when you are joining the limited partnership, you do a subscription agreement where you're signing up and you know what you're putting in, whatever. The actual partnership is created with a partnership agreement, and then they actually file the certificate of partnership with the state. So again, so the three forms you have to think about. The certificate of limited partnership is what is like the form that just says, hey, here's our partnership. Ken Finnan is great, Inc. <clears throat> We've not LP, I guess it wouldn't be Inc. Is filed with the state. Then we have the partnership agreement, which is lists all that. That's the list what the, the partnership does and the general partners and stuff like that. And then the subscription agreement is how the limited partner joins. Sorry if this is a little like disjointed. I'm just cuffing it as we go. These are not limited. These are not liquid. So if you're going to put somebody in a limited partnership, you have to make sure that they can, one, kind of benefit from the write-offs and, and they want the money and they don't need the money. They have no liquidity needs. I think that's fair. If you have discretion over somebody's account, which means as a rep, you can make trades without permission first. You have to get, this is the one, one of the few things you need permission in writing before you put them in. So if you put somebody in a limited partnership, you have to make sure that you have permission from them. Even if you have a full discretion account where you can do any trade you want for them, for this is still needed because it's a partnership. And in reality, since it's a partnership, if they run low on money, they can ask for more. And if you don't come up with it, they can take away some of your ownership because they have to give it to someone else. So that's why you need to have their permission so they understand what's going on. Now let's talk about this again, high level shit. I'm just, it's a Sunday night and I'm bored. And Billy asked me to do something. So I decided to do it. Billy Dixon, you're a bastard. Now, I love you though. He's, he's seriously, Billy is like a really great, he's always helping people out. It's amazing. He's an amazing guy. He's going to do well in his life. Now, back to this. So there's three main types of DPPs that we think about for the test. So there's real estate limited partnerships where they invest in real estate. And again, the gains pass through, the losses pass through, stuff like that. Now, when we have raw land, so we, sometimes they invest in raw land, which you can't do. There's no real tax write-offs for that because it's pure speculation. But think about it. If we build buy a building like a REIT in a way, buy a bunch of buildings, the value of the building, because it's man-made stuff, depreciates. So we can depreciate, okay? So we can use depreciation as a write-off, which is a great write-off. Because say you have a building that's worth a million dollars, right? And it says it's going to live for, you know, it's going to last for 30 years. That's what the IRS says. You can write off $30,000 a year, even though you're not losing money. I guess that's 30 or so. So if you make money on it, you can write off the depreciated value. You can lower your income by the depreciated value each year, which is great. So remember, man-made shit, man-made shit, you depreciate. You depreciate man-made shit. So that's what real estate, real estate limited partnerships, they manage real estate and they pass through the gains and the losses. They're trying to make money. Then we have equipment leasing. Like, have you ever ridden a bus and it goes owned by and then operated by? Well, the owned by is the equipment leasing corporation, and the operating by is the one leasing it from them. So, equipment leasing, they're take they're taking the income from people leasing their buses and tractors and stuff like that. And any repairs they do, if they have to do the repairs, becomes a write off or a, a loss. Now, the last one, the one that you'll most likely be tested on, is oil and gas. So, oil and gas is like I'm Sam Hess. I start my own partnership, I bring in a bunch of investors, and I start drilling for oil or whatever it is. So there's three types of oil and gas ones that we think about. There's another one, but I've never seen it tested. The first one is wildcatting, baby, wildcatting. That's exploratory. You're drilling where there is not oil, high risk, high reward, okay? That's high risk, high reward, that's good. Then we have developmental, where we're either 
buying one that's already found oil, or we're drilling where we know there's oil. Little less risk, little less reward. Then the last one, income, where they actually take a working oil well and they just sell it. Now, remember, this is the greatest write-off in the world. So if you have 100 barrels of oil and you sell a barrel, you can't sell that barrel again. So you get to deplete it. It's called depletion allowance. And when oil and gas, they use percentages. So if, And you, you will never have to do the math on this, on any of this shit. So if you have 100 barrels of oil and you sell two barrels, that's 2%. So you get to deplete it. Oh, so wait a second. So wait, man-made shit is depreciate. You depreciate man-made shit and you deplete God-made shit. You know, oil, gas, coal, shit like that. All those things, anything produced by God, lumber, you deplete. You uh, deplete. Now, one thing, if say we do crops as part of our limited partnership, you can't deplete crops because they come back. But lumber may take 30 or 40 years to grow so that you can deplete that. Let's just recap before I head out of here. Limited partnerships on this test are called DPPs. They're not for the light, the faint-hearted. They're for more people who don't need liquidity, more sophisticated investors. The big thing is that the gains, all the gains and losses are passed through the investors. All of them, the gains and losses, the actual entity doesn't pay taxes. They're not liquid. You have to make sure the person can handle the loss. Limited partnerships have limited risk. They, only, they can only lose what they invest. And general partners can lose more. One thing I'm going to add out to this. Any, you know, normally with a capital loss, you can write off up, you can offset all capital gains and use three grand against your ordinary income. With a limited partnership, the losses can only be used against passive gains. Passive losses can only offset passive gains. There you go. Have a good night.